Good morning and welcome to the Coffee and Cap Rates podcast, your go-to source for New York City's latest commercial real estate insights. This program is brought to you by Ariel Property Advisors. Hello, everybody. I'm Shimon Shkuri, president of Ariel Property Advisors, and very happy to be here with you today for our Coffee and Cap Rates podcast. And today we're here with my colleague, Sean Kelly. And Sean and I are going to speak a little bit about the concept of a land lease or ground lease, especially during these interesting times. Hi, Sean. How are you? I'm great, Shimon. How are you? Doing really well and uh, excited to be here. And so let me, let me start with a brief description to, to everybody uh, on the podcast about what a ground lease is. And in a very simple way, it's essentially annual payments, usually for 99 years, that are paid to the owner of a land instead of selling the land and allowing the leaseholder to essentially own the land for that period of time. So if it's a 99-year lease, the leaseholder can do whatever they want with the land and build on it and do it for 99 years in lieu of annual payments. So that's what a land lease is in a very oversimplified way, but we know it's not that simple. What are the challenges in a ground lease? What are the details of a ground lease from a high level, Sean? So I think the first thing to think about when you're negotiating a ground lease is exactly what the objective is. And in order to craft a successful ground lease, we have to understand the objectives of the landowner, which is usually stable long-term cash flow, and the objective of the developer, which is to be able to take that leasehold, go to a construction lender, and finance the development project. One thing that we've found very helpful in the leases that we've worked on is actually having that lease define the type of project that the developer intends to construct, whether that be an office building, a commercial retail building, or a mixed-use residential building. Right. So essentially... What I said before is half true because what we really want to do in a lease is make sure that the leaseholder builds something that you as the fee owner is comfortable with. And that's really a key element. I think also one of the important parts is escalations. I think it's extremely important to know what the escalations are. In some cases, there are some market resets. Market resets basically say that the lease resets to market value after a certain period of time. Most fee owners today would like that. Most leaseholders would not entertain as much of that, unfortunately, for the fee owners. But that's something that happens in many cases. Some free rent sometimes, depending on the terms of the lease, could be given to the leaseholder for the period of building the building and the negotiations of these lease could take a little while prior to starting the lease as it is somewhat complex. And just to touch on a couple of those, the, the escalations we see are typical of a lot of other either office or traditional retail escalations where they're either 10% every five years, one or 2% annually. But the key is really the market reset because these will determine whether or not a project is financeable, how financeable it is for the 
landlord? And then is the asset sellable? And the fair market value resets scare off potential purchasers. And it impacts the value for both the developer and for the landowner. What we've found is in the best case scenario, your reset is after year 49. And if you're going to have early resets, they really need to be capped. So there's not this unlimited exposure. The market reset is an episode in itself, and we can talk about it forever. There are a lot of creative ways to put it in, in a way that's advantageous to both fee-holder and leaseholder moving forward and not just to one side. But it's definitely something to pay attention to. When you talk about advantages and disadvantages from a landlord's perspective, we're talking about long-term payments. We're talking about bypassing the capital gain tax because you're not going to get a lump sum, but getting cash flow along the way. We're talking about having an ownership who has been there for many years or a generational owner not wanting to sell, but wanting to get the cash flow out of a land. That's another opportunity for them. And for developer is really not to come out with a substantial amount of capital to buy the land, but to lease the land and take advantage of the structure. Sean, why do you think now we see more land leases, more ground leases coming to us as a potential assignment versus, let's say, 2015 or 16? Why now? Well, it's a function of the economics of the value of the land. So in 2015 and 16, in a lot of neighborhoods, particularly Manhattan, North Brooklyn, Long Island City Market, and Queens, the land values got so high that the only way to make sense of it for a developer was to construct condos. As the market has shifted, land prices are coming down. Owners are not going to be able to get that premium, which was probably 25 to 30% over what a developer could pay for the land if they were building a rental building. Plus, given where we're at in the economy, capital is not nearly as abundant. So you have a landowner who maybe missed the peak of the market, but says, you know what? I have a warehouse. I'm struggling with my tenants. The zoning's great. I should find a way to monetize this asset. And it's still an effective way to do it. The rental market in New York City is still projected to remain strong long-term as we have a you know, historical vacancy rate of hovering around 2 to 3%. That's right. That's exactly it. And Sean recently completed a ground lease in Queens, and our company is also working on a few other ground lease assignments where landlords prefer to lease the land and have a developer build on it versus sell it outright. So, Sean, one more question is, who are going to be a great candidate for this specific ground lease or land lease structure, in your opinion, and from your experience? Great question. And what we've found a lot of times is it's a landowner who becomes the owner of a development site by default. Maybe they own a taxpayer or they own the warehouse that they operated a business out of. And now that business is either obsolete or they're moving on or they can relocate that business to a less expensive alternative or location and capitalize on this. Part of the challenges for these particular owners is they are not active real estate investors. So one thing they face, if they do a sale, they're faced with the dilemma of either paying significant capital gains taxes or alternatively doing a 1031 exchange, finding replacement properties to defer those capital gains. 
But now you have somebody who's never looked at an investment property in their life, and they're faced with going to spend 10, 20, 30, $40 million and buying properties. And a lot of times they get steered towards triple net lease assets, and maybe those assets are out of town. What I tell them is, why don't we just look at this? If we sit down and we say, instead of selling the asset and taking that $25 million and buying a 5% return, we can create the same value by doing a leasehold here, continuing to own the asset that's been in your family for 30, 40 years, creating long-term wealth. That is, once the project is up and cash flowing, will allow you to go to the bank and pull out refinance the property and have tax-free cash that you can go and buy other investments with. That's great, Sean. Thank you so much. And please reach out if you have any questions about this specific structure or if you'd like to see any opportunities or assignments that we're currently working with. Sean, I wanted to thank you so much for speaking with us today. And that concludes our Coffee and Cap Rate. Thank you very much. 